I want to kind of dive into a text today and a story. This is going to be a different kind of Christmas story today. I'm actually going to challenge you guys in the biggest way I've ever challenged, like as specific as I can be. I'm going to, by the end of this message, literally tell your right hand what to do, and I'm going to implore our church to employ one of the greatest Christmas opportunities that we've ever had before as individuals of the body of Christ. So I'm at the, at the outset here, I want to be completely transparent that I have ulterior motives for this message and for you. That in this message, I'm not going to bring Christmas cheer, but I am going to challenge this congregation to reevaluate an idea we have around a certain concept that I believe God wants to enlighten today through the Holy Spirit. Is that cool? Everybody good? If you're watching online, just just uh, push the like button, I guess, and let us know that that's, that's okay. We have permission to speak deeply. I, I know in this season, you know, growing up in Texas, we have hurricanes, and I know that when the hurricanes come, it pulls stuff from deep under the ocean. Those currents pull stuff from the deep. And that can be cool stuff and that can be weird stuff. And I know that in this season, there's a lot of stuff from the deep that's coming up. I believe that there's some stuff where like, I didn't know that was there. I don't like that. And there's some stuff, it's like, I didn't know that was there. That's awesome what God's doing. It's kind of one of those, it's the best of times and worst of times kind of thing. And I, I see people who have never had a passion for prayer on their knees seeking God in a supernatural, powerful way. I see, I see families spending more time around the table doing stuff together um, than ever before. We, we did family uh, card game night last night, and and. The kids have now outshined us in their ability to beat us in most games, and we like that. And um, it, it's one of those seasons where I think it's important to know the mark and hit the mark. So I want to turn our attention to Luke chapter 2 and 13. And here is the passage that we're going to look at today. It's simple, it's practical. And yet it's complex. And I'll explain why it's complex before we read it. We'll leave that scripture up, but I'll explain why this is complex. There are languages and there are ideas that get lost in translation. Me growing up in Texas, there were colloquialisms and ways that I said things that when my wife and I met, we just, there were things that we just couldn't communicate on. We had to decipher what each other were saying. For instance, I used the word piddling around or fiddling around differently than she did. She said, piddling is not the same in California. We go to our garage and we piddle around and she goes, piddling is something different in California. Um, understanding uh, that a toilet's not a toilet, it's a commode in Texas. And there's a lot more uh, of those. But what, one of the things that, that did get her is when I told her she was pretty as a peach. And she didn't know how to take that and process that. I said, it's a very good thing. But she looked at me and she said, you put the stud back in Bible study. And that's new, when I knew I had her as a Southern boy just trying to win this California girl. Uh, but this passage, Luke chapter 2 and 13, there's a, there's a way to see this and there's a way to see it wrong. And I want to kind of unpack this with you 
And I believe that we're going to experience the greatest Christmas gift and the gift that keeps on giving, the greatest Christmas gift. Luke chapter two and 13 through 14 says this, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. In the earth, on the earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now, you've probably heard this said before. You've heard it in songs. You've heard it Christmas carols. You've heard this repeated in this season. And many of us say it without really understanding what it's calling us to and what it's imploring us to in the earth. And so today, I want to talk about the greatest Christmas gift. So Heavenly Father, we invite your presence over the next 25 minutes just to enlighten our hearts to understand your scriptures. We're entering into a different kind of Christmas season and there's a lot of thrills and, and, and things that have been stripped away. So maybe, Lord, we can kind of refocus our heart and mind back to what this truly is all about and what it can become. So Lord, I thank you for this day and I thank you for the worship and I thank you for our missionary friends and I thank you, Lord, for all the outcomes that you're gonna bring through this moment. So Lord, speak to each heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. Baptize us afresh with the fresh fire and passion and anointing to bring about your will in the earth. In Jesus' name, we pray and everybody say amen. I wanna take you through... Uh, the corridors of history back to 1914. There was a gentleman by the name of Franz Ferdinand who was an archduke in Austria. We have a picture of this uh, debonair uh, face. We're gonna put it up. I, I won't know if I'll be able to see it or not. There he is, that mustache. That's the mustache that uh, Mike Reese uh, attempted to um, re-employ in our 2020 um, world and uh, was beckoned by his sweet wife, Charity, to shave last week. So we say, rest in peace, oh, beautiful mustache. Anyways, um, this, this Art Duke was assassinated in the summer of 1914. And this assassination uh, precipitated uh, a, 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 a big problem. And it started with Austria blaming the Serbians. So Austria says, we're gonna declare war on Serbia. Well, Russia said, we're gonna declare war on Austria. And so Germany says, we're gonna declare war on Russia. And so France says, we're gonna declare war on Germany. And Germany says, we're gonna declare war on Belgium. And, Bel and, and the UK says, we're gonna declare war on Germany. And this all happened within just a few days. And what we have is what is called the Great War. It was the Great War until World War II came, and then it was called World War I. But until World War II, it was called the Great War. And the Great War is an interesting war because 20 million people lost their lives in this war. 20 million people. This was a massive war, a huge war. This, this was a, the theater in Europe of this war was one that had never been seen on this magnitude and on this scale of death. And one of the things that made this war unique from all the other wars is something called trench warfare. We have a picture of the trenches and we'll put it up. And essentially, long story short, uh, they built trenches to hold their position. 
They decided this is our position. We're going to dig a trench and we're going to hold our position. And so the, the, the allies on one side, the enemy on the other side, they would dig trenches. And in between would, would be uh, what they called the no man's land. This would be barbed wire and, and dead bodies. This is called the no man's land in between. And so the trenches, they had 35,000 miles of trenches through Europe. 35,000 miles. Now, remind, I'm going to remind you that around the earth, one time is 24,000 miles. They had 35,000 miles of trenches. I think we got one more picture of trenches. Some of these trenches were deep. They were complex. They had little cubbies, and they had little caves where people would sleep. And, and uh, if you've seen uh, the movie 1917, um, running half of the movie is through trenches, trying to go from one side of, the, of a nation to the other side of a nation, et cetera, et cetera. Long story short, 20 million people died, and they were holding their position, building trenches. We, just, we are not going to move. It was this kind of crazy new battle strategy. But something amazing happened in the Christmas of 1914. Something beautiful happened when on Christmas Eve, everyone in this European theater are Christian. And they go, it's time to put our rifles down and we're going to have a little Christmas carol in our trench. And they don't know who it is, but somebody decided to get out of the trench and walk with their hands up into the middle of no man's land, stand in the middle of no man's land and call a truce. And the other side began to step out of the trenches and they had their hands up and they said, we're calling a truce also. And all of a sudden, out of the trenches come people who were fighting the day before, holding their position, calling a Christmas truce. It's called the Christmas truce of 1914. We have some pictures here. The Christmas truce of 1914. They were singing carols together. They were playing, uh, as they call it over there, football together. And what was amazing about this Christmas truce is that when the next day the war was to resume, nobody wanted to fire a shot. Because what they figured out was, is whenever you know somebody and you hang out with them, you're less likely to want to kill them. <laughs> kind of an interesting concept. And so they came up with this term, fraternization. Don't fraternize the enemy. Don't become friends with the enemy. Because if you become friends with the enemy, guess what's going to happen? You're not going to kill them. And we need you to kill them. And so on the day after Christmas... They started moving troops around. They had to shuffle troops all over Europe to reshuffle people's mind to get back in their post, get back in their position, and be willing to kill the enemy. Here's what I believe that God wants to do this Christmas. I believe there's some people who have been holding their position. There's some enemies on the other side. There's some estranged relationships and you've been holding your position so long, so hard, so emphatic, and God wants you to come out of the trench, put your hands up, and call for the Christmas truce. It's time to reconcile. It's time to redeem relationships. Here's what blew my mind this week as I was studying. 
I found out that over 40% of families in America have a stra- at least one estranged family member. I found out that most circle groups, friendship groups, have at least one to two estranged people from that group. That at any moment you and I have people outside this, the, the, the close concentric circle, there's another circle that we have, and there's another circle on the outside of that of people that we've placed there, maybe on purpose or subconsciously. And what if on this Christmas, when we're shut in, we feel shut out, what if we were to pick up a phone, send a text, send a letter, make a call, put our hands up and say, I want to call a truce. I want to reconcile. This isn't easy, but I want to reconcile a relationship. Now you say, why preach this on Christmas? Because this is exactly what the birth of Christ is about. The Bible says we were estranged from God. In fact, we were enemies of God because of sin. It's like oil and water. Sin and God doesn't mix. He's holy. It's not that God doesn't want heaven populated with his children. It's that sin can't exist in the place of the holy presence of God. So he said, I'll make the first move. I'll step out of position. He became a baby in the no man's land and made a way for us to reconcile this relationship between heaven and earth. That's the gospel. That's what the birth of Jesus is all about. I love Kevin McAllister, but that's not what Christmas is all about. I like Presence under the tree and eggnog. And I like, I like uh, pecan pie, which I feel like is an all-year kind of pie. But anyways, I like Christmas. I'm not against Christmas. I don't think Christmas is evil. Or if we, if we have tr- family traditions that somehow we're diluting you know, what Christ is about. No, no, I, I don't believe that. But I do believe at some point we got to get back to the idea that we remember we were sinners, estranged, far from God. And while we were sinners, while we were holding our position, Christ came into the world, stepped into no man's land, hands lifted and said, I want to bring a truce. Jesus is the way that heaven and earth comes together. He's not a way, he's the way. Because we don't have a moral problem, we have a sin problem. We didn't violate some some law on the earth. We violated an eternal holy law. That is in the nature of God. He can't change who he is. And so what he had to do was become man, come into the earth, step into no man's land, put his hands up to reconcile the world to himself. That is what Christmas is all about. So I want to show you a scripture real quick. And I, and I feel like uh, this, this gives us a little power. 2 Corinthians 5 and 18 says this in the NLT. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Now let's go to the same passage, but we're going to read three verses in the message. The message is not a translation. It's a transliteration. Um, it's a paraphrase. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him. 
then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences, get out of your trench, and enter into God's work of making things right between them. Stepping out of our position, stepping out of the fortified trenches that we've built. Now you say, okay, this is, this is somebody else. I'm gonna tell you, I have trenches. I have positions with people that I've staked because it's safer there. It's easier there. It's less vulnerable there. And God has to awaken me again and again and remember he reconciled me by initiating. So here's the question. What's the difference between conflict resolution and reconciliation? See, conflict resolution is you get two people down, you go, hey, how can we resolve this? How can we meet 50-50? Okay, I'll stop doing this and you stop doing that and you're an idiot, but I can overlook it. And we've all been there, right? We've all been in the, the, the debate and this, you know, we'll, we'll agree to disagree. But reconcile, when you reconcile the books, right, you try to get the books down to zero. You have to, rec- you have to reconcile every transaction and you have to zero out the budget. That's, that's what reconciling is. So when we reconcile, we're actually going, the debt's gone. It's zero. Now, let me make sure that you're understanding what I'm saying. I'm not saying that if there's an abusive person that's been hurting you emotionally, physically, I understand that most of us understand that, but I'm gonna say it. That doesn't mean we go back into something that is harmful and disgusting and awful. But there are relationships that just by time or by distance or by a thing that was said and forgotten that just looms out there. Before you know it, a trench has been built, a feeling and emotion has been set. And all of a sudden, where are we? We're, we've built a bulwark, we've built a wall, and now there's this distance and we don't like it. And we're waiting for someone to respond. We're waiting for them to, to say, I'm sorry, and let's meet halfway. And, and the, the spirit of reconciliation is, I'm gonna go before you go. I'm gonna say yes. That's what being Christian means. That's what Christ in a manger means. That we could not do anything. We didn't have the power, but he took the first step And it changes everything. So here's the hardest part is taking the first step. Now, one of my favorite verses on the planet is Ephesians chapter two and four. It says this, but God is so rich in mercy. So I have these two sisters. Let's call them Sally and Sylvia to protect the innocent. And one of the things that they used to love to do was act rich. In fact, one time my, my sisters were at, um, I think, a Nordstrom's restaurant uh, years and years ago, and, and Andrea ordered, I just said her name, sorry. <laughs> Andrea ordered, a, a Charity ordered a tea. No, Andrea ordered a tea, and Charity said, let's save some money, we'll share the tea. And Annie said, stop acting poor, act rich. That's their, that's their go-to, act rich. I don't even know what that means. But have you ever been around someone who's just like, like dumb rich. I, ne- I never forget 
I, I went to a place called Barcelino's. It's, it was in Valley Fair in San Jose. Uh, we were just married. This is a place where the average suit is like fifteen dollars to $20,000. I went in to get a tie. I had saved up all year to get a, a tie that was like $125, okay? I'm standing there with my tie. These high rollers are coming in. These are the guys, these are the people that when they come in, they're like, would you like a latte? Mr. So-and-so, would you like a latte? Did we pull up your Maserati? And these are people who are filthy rich. These are the people that, that when you check out, it takes about, about you know, a, a minute and a half. When they check out, it's like, t- you get behind one of these people and they're just tons of attention. They're purchasing stuff and you're like, I don't know what that feels like. But the Bible says our father is rich in mercy. Our father has a lot of mercy to share with his children. As you have been forgiven, we are to forgive. I want you to think about this. I want you to be dumb, stupid, generous with mercy. And when they go, how can you be so generous with mercy? You just give it away. Like, here you go, here you go, here you go. You just say, my father is rich. How can you do it? My dad is rich. What is he rich in? What, does he do oil? Is he t- intact? No, he's rich in mercy. He is filthy rich in mercy. How can you afford to forgive them again and again and again? He is dumb rich in mercy. Filthy rich. Like he gives it away. So he's given us the spirit, the message of reconciliation. There was actual, an actual story where he says, hey, there was a man who owed a billion dollars and he went to the Lord and the Lord said, oh, you're, we're gonna zero out your balance, you're good. And then the man went over to a guy who owed him $1,000. He says, hey, got him by the neck and said, give me my $1,000. And the Lord said, what? I was, I was stupid, rich, generous with you. And now you're gonna be a tightwad with this guy? That's not the gift. That's wrong. See, when Jesus stepped out into no man's land, he's given you permission to step out into no man's land with your hands open and saying, we're gonna be, look, I don't know what this year looks like for people. You may be like, this is the tightest year ever. This is gonna be a tough year. And you know, I mean, Macy, my little niece, Macy, I got her, her list of what she wants. She wants a watch, she wants a phone, and she wants five surprise gifts. I don't know what that means, but it's got to be a surprise. (laughs) Very bold, very specific. But can I just say the greatest gift that you can give is to reach out to somebody who least expects it and doesn't deserve it and be uber crazy, stupid, generous with mercy. How can you do that? Our God, who is rich in mercy, he's filthy rich. He's like the Beverly Hillbillies who struck gold, struck oil, just struck it and it just like, it, they got more than, they don't know what to do with it. That's the kind of, that's the kind of silly we gotta be with mercy. That's the ministry of reconciliation. There was a young man in 2006, Charlie Roberts, walked into an Amish school and shot up the school. Five little Amish girls died. Five were critically wounded. Charlie took his life that day and the mother found out about this. She was 
she was awestruck. She was petrified. She was mortified. Um, her life lost her son. Her son did this horrible thing. Her life was over. This is in Southern Pennsylvania. The next day, the parents of those children who died and those that were wounded went to her door, knocked on her door and said, we love you, we forgive you, we wanna be friends. They begin to serve her, they begin to become friends with her and even to this day, they do family celebrations together. That's kind of, that's the silly kind of stupid kind of mercy. When I could have feelings against. Here's what heaven looks like when it hits earth. When an undeserved person receives from an unobligated giver and the unbelievable gift of mercy. So this Christmas, each of us have the opportunity to be the richest people on the planet sharing the greatest gift that can be given. Mercy. Reconciliation. Matthew chapter five and 23. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. See, God says the best gift is not the one that you give me at the altar and some kind of thing that you do that shows how much you adore me. He says, you wanna know the best gift? It's when you go make it right with somebody. That's more important than the gift that you brought to the altar. That's the greatest gift on the planet because that is the continuation of the gift of Christ. That is Christmas every day. That is generosity every single day. So it says this, Ephesians 4 and 32. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Now, I'm not asking you to do something that's easy. I'm not asking you to change your values. I'm not asking you to put down, uh, you know, caution and, and, and change your worldview or allow someone who's dangerous into your life. But here's what I'm asking. That if somebody has, there's a debt, pay it off with the mercy that God has given you. So I want you to think about who that is. I want you to think about that strained relationship. I want you to think about that person on the other side of no man's land. I want you to think about that person who's set up a position against you, but you don't understand. They hurt me. They're, they're, they're jerks. They're like the Grinch in the Christmas story, the Grinch. They are the Grinch. They are the worst version of the Grinch. That's okay. You don't have to be best friends with them, but you can reach out and shower them with love and say, hey, I just want you to know the debt's paid off. Not a sorry, but hey, I'm sorry. Hey, I love you. I pray for you regularly. To square it up in some way, I wanna tell you when you do this, the power of the gospel moves through your heart and soul and it changes you. It is what we're called to do. It's nitty, it's gritty, it's inconvenient. Jonathan Edwards, in, seven, in, in 1730s, it was the first, there was four great awakenings in the history of the United States. I believe that we're at the precipice of the fifth great awakening that God wants to bring in the earth. He was the beginning of the first one, and, and, and he, he's the one who preached on the East Coast, sinners uh, in the hands of an angry God, and it, hearts begin to change. And long story short, after this, this, these great revivals, they asked him, what is the true sign of a person's life that's been changed 
by the gospel. What is the truest sign? Is it someone barking? Someone climbs up a mountain in the name of the Lord? Is it someone who sheds all their their financial earthly goods to, to give to somebody? What is the truest sign of a heart that has truly been saved and redeemed by God? And this is what he said. He said, it's holy intentions. All of a sudden, a change inside the heart. I feel different about my enemies, those like me, those dislike me, those who are like me. I am, my nature is changing. Not my expose, not my energy and outputs of what I do in the name of religion, but it is how I treat those who are like me, those who I, who, how I treat those who are not like me, those who dislike me, my brother, my neighbor, my enemy. Can I tell you, Christmas begins with you being the first to come out of the trenches and say, it's a Christmas truce. Because the ministry of reconciliation, which God's given us, has to be on display in how we treat one another. How can they see him if they can't see it through us? That is the gospel in action. Every time someone hurts you, offends you, you have the opportunity to show the gospel in the most tangible way. Christmas every day, the greatest gift. Peace on earth and goodwill to all men. This is what Christ offers doesn't mean best friends with all men, but goodwill toward all men. This is what Christ offers. And I wanna implore you, wherever you are, whoever's listening to this message, make a list of three. Make a list of three. Well, I don't have any enemies who hate me. There hasn't been any grenades thrown. Yeah, I know, but there's always that one estranged on the outside. Let it be crazy, dumb generosity of mercy. Our God who is rich in mercy. Let me close with this song. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That is what began at Christmas. Now, it's the world and individuals becoming reconciled. It's the gift that keeps on giving. So be that crazy person at the counter at Barcelino's, buying too much. You can't hold it all. You can't even get it to your car. You got to have help. Uber, crazy, stupid, generous with mercy. If you're listening to this message and you are far from God or you do not know the Lord, can I tell you that the Lord has reconciled you to himself. The big gulf between you and God has been paved with the works of Christ. So I wanna pray for you because I know there's someone listening right now who needs to say yes to Jesus, who needs to repent of their sins and cry out to God because God is 
rich in mercy. But you know, I don't, you don't understand. I've, I've made so many withdrawals and I've, I, I've sinned so much. I've sinned a billion. I've sinned a 10 billion, a zillion, a trillion, a gillion. You know, we don't know what really comes after a trillion, so we just make it up. A gillion. I've sinned so much. You don't understand. God is rich and mercy. Rich, like crazy rich in mercy for you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for every heart, every soul that's far from God. They have felt alone, but they're not alone. Your presence is close, your calling is closer. You're drawing them right now. They're repenting of their sins. They're turning to you. They're uncomfortable in the seat of sin that they've chose. And Lord, you're calling them out of that seat. You're calling them out of that way. You're calling them to a new life, to be born again. Heart and soul change, new affections. To be reconciled. Zero debt. Paid for. Not conflict resolution. I'm not trying to make a resolution with God and make promises. I'm not trying to make a conflict resolution with God and somehow make a deal. It's reconciliation. Zeroed out. All debts gone. Free gift. Not of ourselves. Nothing we could do. I say yes to Jesus and everything changes. That is the heart of the gospel. I receive it. I believe Jesus died for me, paid the price for every sin, past, present, and future. Today I receive it. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's say it together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you made that decision today, we have a book we want to get into your hands. We do not want you to, to take another day without this book. Prayer and worship, the Bible, water baptism, Holy Spirit, the church, sharing your faith, loving people. That last chapter is good. Loving people. And this one right here is going to be a manual to help you in your, your new birth, walking out your faith. I want to promise you that if you'll, if you'll give God one year of your life, just saying, I give one year, I'm going to go all in, heart and soul, your life will never, ever be the same.